Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream, Eric Scopel with me as always. And the first two days of Zoom meetings with Oregon's head coach, Mario Cristobal, defensive coordinator, Andy Avalos, and offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead, are all in the books. We've learned a ton in two days about the Oregon football program, and we're going to break it all down here on this edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. First, we do that. We want to remind you guys, you can support the podcast in a couple of ways. First, the most impactful way is by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. One month for $1, your first month, $1, all it takes for you to jump in for a VIP membership, and then it goes to $9.95 thereafter that. We also have an annual rate of $75.18, build one time, save over $3 per month compared to the month rate. Inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network, access to insiders across the country and here locally in within the Oregon football program, Oregon basketball program, Oregon athletics in general, Eric Scoble, Kevin Wade, myself, Matt Prem. Exclusive recruiting coverage. All right, Eric. Uh, I should note the second way that I should finish this. The second way uh, to support the podcast, if you can't monetarily do it, uh, you can go out and you can give us a five-star review rating, four-star review rating. Uh, we like those reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, uh, Spotify, whatever you use to listen to the podcast. And you can also subscribe to the podcast for free uh, through those platforms as well. Eric, uh, we were just discussing a little bit about the last two days and and the Zoom meetings. And it's a little bit different this time. Uh, it's a little different, different for everybody. <laughs> Very different. Uh, Uh, Pulling back the curtain here a little bit to give you a glimpse of what a typical normal year is like. Uh, Eric and I go watch football practice uh, at at Oregon. We we are typically inside practice for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so, and we we learn a lot of information. We come out, we do a little report, and then after practice is over, we speak with the head coach or maybe one of the coordinators or an assistant coach, some players, and then we go on our way. this year is a little bit different because of COVID-19. We don't get to go into football practice right now, uh, so we don't get to watch. We're having to trust a little bit about what the coaches are telling us. Um, don't necessarily think they're going to lie, but they might leave a couple key details out, and you know that's going to be up to us to find out what they're leaving out or you know what, what the true full bigger picture story is. Um, and then instead of being face to face with interviews, it's through Zoom. Uh, the coaches sit down in, in the press conference room with a computer and TV in front of them. And we're on the other end digitally. And uh, it's, it's a little bit of back and forth. It's a little bit different. Um, the second time, I think, was a little bit smoother than the first from everyone's perspective. And it's going to get some getting used to, no doubt about it. But nonetheless, we've still learned a ton about this Oregon football program. And I, and I think, Eric, the for me, the most important one is Cristobal echoed it and Moorhead and Avalos tipped their caps to it, is that this team is has been able to get through Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, socially distanced walkthrough meetings, you know, in the summertime and, and leading up to the return of college football for the Pac-12, and now two practices in so that they feel confident in that the playbook is installed and Cristobal did note that yeah we're rusty we, we, we haven't gone full speed against somebody and and now we are so there's obviously going to be that rust but the understanding of what you're doing and 
why you're doing uh, that, that play or that scheme or what have you is understood. Now it's just how well can you get it there? I think that's a pretty big revelation from Oregon's coaching staff. Yeah, I've gone back and forth between being super impressed and honest and surprised the first time when Cristobal said that they had the entire offense in to now, not, not that I'm not impressed, but being like it, they did have all of this opportunity to go through these Zoom meetings. And it is now mid-October, which is when you are typically five, six games into a college football season. So from like a time perspective, I know it's very different. I, I guess it, it does sort of make some sense that they, they are further along than we would typically typically expect going into a fall camp in terms of offensive and defensive installation. Um, and so I'll acknowledge that part, but either way, like they got here without having physical like practices that you would typically require. I mean, not require, but that are typically very instructive, I guess, in terms of getting the playbook down. And so, um, yeah, we're to this point now where they're two days into fall camp. And I, I guess you could say they're a little further along in some areas than others, obviously, as you noted, there's probably more rust in other areas than there typically would be um, with a traditional off season with, you know, the, the involuntary workouts they're allowed to do with the strength and conditioning workouts that they're allowed to do. Those all looked very different this off season. So um, from an install perspective though, it's exciting and it's great to know that they're there. Now it's a matter of, of uh, and both Avalos and Moorhead and Cristobal for that matter, discuss this. Now it's the important, now it's really important to figure out some of the personnel stuff. Um, and that's some things we're going to spend a lot of time talking about today. And, and obviously in future weeks of, you know, they have some position battles that need to be figured out and on um, certain parts of the, you know, on certain sides of the ball, there's more than others. It's more on offense than they're on defense, but the defensive position battles are, are very important. And we'll talk about some of those on this podcast, but um, you know, they lost three opt outs on defense, one on offense. They've got to replace. We've already talked about it so much on offense only really those players and a couple of linebackers on defense. I shouldn't say only because it's five players and it's five very good players, but now it's some of this personnel stuff comes together. And I think, you know, speaking with Mario Cristobal and Joe Moorhead in consecutive days, it was very clear where, you know, which position battle was at the forefront of everybody's minds from a media perspective. And it's no surprise. And it was the quarterback position battle between Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown. And uh, I think we certainly now have a little bit more clarity about where things are there. Obviously, there's been no determination, but we do know Tyler Shuck was the first-team quarterback and Anthony Brown was with the twos. And based upon everything we've heard and, and seen, it really is those two for this job. Yeah, that was it goes right into this segue of kind of and, – and while no coach has come out and has, has said that, hey, like this is a, a two-man race. It's Tyler Shuck against Anthony Brown um, – it, it, it you read the tea leaves a little bit and it's pretty obvious. Uh, they're not going to come out. No coach is going to come out day one and, or day two and, and say it's a two man job. But um, that's where we're at right now. You asked a good question um, with Joe Moorhead about, hey, what's the expectation for this quarterback room where you've got six quarterbacks which is highly unusual you don't typically yeah. see six quarterbacks on a roster at one time five of those guys are scholarship guys mm -hmm. um what what is the expectation for the younger group and i think that was kind of the closest we got to an assistant coach or or crystal ball acknowledging that it's a two-man race and because he, he he gave you some good stuff on what what could be expected of those younger guys 
Yeah, and it's about learning and growing and, and getting better, which is pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know, and, and I and I think while he wouldn't, I mean, I, I think even and maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it, and I'm trying to to read too much into those two guys and that's everybody else, but. I think the way I asked the question, the way he received it, I, I did feel like he didn't object to the the concept that I put out there, right. which was it's Chuck and Brown. And then these four guys, can you talk about these four guys? He didn't say, hold up. Hey, no, no, no. The other guys are still in the competition. It was to me, at least felt like he kind of was like, yeah, it's those two guys. And, and he was, you know, I asked for specifically like some evaluations of those, those four players and he was fairly vague. And I think, you know, it's, it's always the interesting part of when you have a new assistant coach or new coach or new players and your first time, one of the first time speaking with them, what, what are they willing to kind of divulge? And I think it's pretty clear now listening to, to Moorhead today, it's the second time I think we've spoken with him, period. I think we spoke with him one time in the spring. He's not somebody who's going to come out here and, and, and give all his cards out. I think he's, yep. he's kind of holding them close to his chest and that's totally fine. Understandable when you're the offensive coordinator and that position in particular. But I, I do think this is a year where you're looking at those those four non-starting group quarterbacks. And again, I think it's pretty safe to say that's what it is right now, barring something changing. Um, that those guys, this is a year where, where they're, yeah, they're trying to get the most out of them and try to figure out kind of what they have there. Um, because as, as he acknowledged numerous times, like he's barely gotten a chance to see any of these guys do anything aside from throwing in shorts and, and T-shirts. I mean, they I don't even know. They didn't do a – I think they might have done maybe one padded practice in the spring. They haven't done a single padded practice in the fall. Um, there's a ton still to figure out, even at quarterback, and even um, with those two guys at top of the depth chart, in my opinion. Yeah, I look at um, Moorhead in particular. Uh, you asked him about the younger guys. Uh, Kevin Wade of, of on DuckTerritory.com, he asked about the tight end position group. Um, and Moorhead all, both times kind of – didn't really come forward and acknowledge anybody. Um, it, it, he said it's, it's two practices in. It, there's too much to um, there's too much to you know, to, to know yet to uh, make a firm decision of who's leading or or what's an assessment type deal. Right. Um, he keeps things really close to the vest. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, I, I think when he does maybe tip his hand a little bit one way or the other, that should really tell us some stuff because he doesn't really do it all that often. Um, on the other side of the football defensively, we spoke with uh, Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator, and you got a good question in on the nickel back spot. And uh, that's where Javon Holland played almost exclusively last year. And with Holland opting out of the 2020 football season and going pro Oregon's got a big hole now within their defense. Um, it was a position that was highly important, highly impactful, highly productive within Andy Avalos's year one defense. And uh, they now have to replace a potential first round draft pick. And we got some good feedback there as well. Yeah. I was happy with, with at least some of this information. And again, we typically would have this from being in practice and just watching who's with which position groups, but we don't have that opportunity right now. Um, and so we're, we're, again, as Matt said earlier in the podcast, we're basically taking the coaches. Uh, what they say at face value and just trusting that that's accurate. We don't, I mean, we can of course independently try to <laughs> confirm or, or, or do whatever we can with that information. But what he did say was, and I think this is notable in terms of who can contend for that Jamal Hill is who's been running with the ones. And that's something that's been reported. I know Rob Mosley reported that the last couple of days. Um, but the other part that was interesting was just who other players might fit into that group. Um, and he said, it's a natural transition from the field safety group. That's the position that like Veron McKinley, 
Bennett Williams, uh, Jordan Happel, who's the, the recent Boise State grad transfer. And there were some interesting comments that Avalos made about him as a coach, a player who he coached previously with the Broncos. Um, but he said that those field safeties, the guys I just mentioned, are natural fits to kind of transition and do a little bit of nickel and a little bit of safety. He also mentioned, and this was when I think I was a little surprised back, but that he said Nick Pickett, let me just make sure I have the, the full quote here, um, but that Nick Pickett has gotten a tremendous amount of work over there as well. Um, and that was a name that I don't think either of us had mentioned as possible candidates there. Um, I know we had mentioned Verone, obviously. Happel wasn't with the team when we were running through things. And we mentioned Bennett, but kind of not in great detail. But Nick Pickett's name being kind of tossed in there. And I don't know if that's more from a depth perspective or if that's a legitimate, like he might end up being the first team nickel this year. But either way, we now, at least to me, I think you've got a better, I, I know I feel like I've got a better grasp on who the contenders are there. I think Jamal Hill is who they want it to be. I kind of think it's sort of similar to the, the, the quarterback position where it's like, if Jamal Hill can play this position, it's great. Like, and if Tyler Shuck can be the quarterback, that's great. But if it's not Jamal Hill, it's going to be one of these other four guys that I just ran through. And the interesting thing will be the musical chairs that maybe gets played if if it's not Jamal Hill. And as we, we talked about before, and it's one of these guys who's tip, who would be starting at safety, you then have uh, to reassess some other things. And, and, and one other note really quickly before we move on, Avalos did note that Jamal Hill will also be getting – some practice reps at the field safety place. They're going to try to cross train him too. Obviously with you, you know, with the weird nature of this and the possibility of having a bunch of um, inactives due to COVID or, or what have you this year, they want to have everybody playing every position. But I did think that was notable of like, so let's say Jamal Hill doesn't play it, doesn't win the nickel job. Like maybe he's then in line to play some field safety, maybe not as a starter, but be a, a, a main reserve and a guy you see out there a lot. So um, I kind of came away from that just feeling like we have a little better idea of what that position group looks like. Yeah, without a doubt, I think we're going to see – we saw it last year a little bit, um, but I think we're going to see it more and more, especially now with COVID too, of, of cross-training. Yep. Um, I think Oregon's def defensive secondary, they try to at least have multiple guys be able to play more than one position. Um, Verone McKinley, we know that, that he can play basically every position in the secondary. He's maybe one of the most you know versatile, valuable guys there, and and maybe Jamal Hill is turning into that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm that's where I'm you know really expanding upon what Avalo said and, and exactly. speculating. But you know may, maybe they're trying to find guys that that can play one, two, three, or four positions, so that if something does happen, whether it's injury or COVID related they can get their, you know, keep their best players out on the football field. Um, there has been some position changes and uh, we did get some updates on some health of the team. Uh, I think the, the, maybe the most, the, the least shocking, uh, the least shocking position change is Daywood Davis. And he is listed at both DB and at receiver. Uh, it's essentially what he's done in his entire <laughs> career here at the University of Oregon. Redshirt junior from Florida. I was going to um, say that should be his. That should be his position on the roster all every year. Like, I don't know. Yes. I don't. Like, just don't pick one. It's like he's one or the other. We don't know. Yeah, he he is back to doing double duty. Um, I imagine it's because of the departures of the cornerback and safety positions. Uh, scholarship numbers are a little thin at cornerback in particular. So having Daywood Davis being able to play both uh, for depth purposes will will be there. Uh, maybe the most surprising one is true freshman Jalen Smith has volunteered himself 
to go over to the offensive line after signing with Oregon as a defensive lineman to play tackle. His number has changed uh, to a a number in the 50s, I believe, and to represent the fact that he is playing uh, on the offensive line now. And and Crystal Ball did hammer home that, hey, this is a a, a temporary position change. His future with the program is at defensive line, but he volunteered it. I think the the biggest thing I took away from that, Eric, um, is – I'm going to ask Cristobal when he comes up uh, next for media interviews is, is was what's prompted the, the change because they've signed a lot of linemen the last few years. How did the depth at, at the position get to a point where they needed to bring a defensive lineman over to the offensive line? Or maybe Jalen Smith is just that, that talented as an offensive lineman. I don't know, but certainly one to, to watch there. Um, and then I, just sorry, but I, I'm curious to see if that was solicited or not. Like, did they did they say we, we might need some help on offensive tackle and the, and put it out to the team? And Jalen raised his hand, or did Jalen approach them and say, "Hey, I know Penne's not going to be here. Now we have less numbers. I'd like to try playing offensive tackle um, because it is interesting. Given you're right, the number of depth they have at O tackle um, to have a defensive lineman move over, I was also kind of surprised by that. I didn't think it was a depth issue for tackle. I thought it was just a they didn't have experience kind of thing. So something that we'll monitor. And then like Matt said, we'll follow up with in the, in the coming days. And then Cristobal, I think you did ask it. Um, he, mm-hmm. he divulged uh, some injury reports. And, and I, I think for the most part, this team's healthy going into camp. Yeah. And it, it, he didn't divulge a whole lot um, other than to say that um, cornerbacks, freshman cornerbacks, Dante Manning and JJ Greenfield. And I think Greenfield is more of a safety based upon what um, Mario said, but those two players Small, short, you know, short-term injuries. Expect both of them to be out practicing fully um, in the coming days. I think he even said on Friday that he expected Greenfield to be taking part on Saturday. We obviously don't have any way of uh, confirming that quite yet. Um, and then the other one that he said to, on the record there was uh, DJ Johnson uh, transitioned from defensive line to tight end during summer conditioning. He had some sort of um, issue, uh, some sort of injury there, but that it's not expected to keep him out for an extended period of time. I asked if there were any injuries that he expected could carry, you know, through multiple weeks of fall camp or even into missing games. And and he said at this moment, um, they did not know of anything quite like that. So um, there was one other, and uh, Matt divulged this one, there was one other important um, personnel uh, item here and notable absence from, I guess, the first two days of practice. And that comes at linebacker. Yeah. Samson knew um, senior linebacker played as a true freshman and, um, came into the program with, uh, I think, a lot of optimism. He's going to play right away and help Oregon, uh, certainly outside the program, inside the program. Cristobal really wouldn't divulge much of what's going on with Samson. He said that he's going through some things and he needs to work through them before he can, before he will return. Um, didn't really clarify much more than that. He, he said he was giving Samson his space because he wanted to do it out of respect for the person and the player. Uh, and that the team would be there for him whenever he's ready to, to come back and play, which you don't want to speculate in this at all. Right. Nope. But it, it doesn't sound like it's a legal issue or, or something, something maybe just personal. That, I think that's maybe the best way to, to describe it is that Samson's trying right now to figure out if he's going to play football in 2020. And we don't really know much more than that, Chris. And I think it's fair, you know, Chris Ball acknowledged it, but it also really wouldn't go into too, too much detail because it's not really his place to 
be putting that out into the public sphere. If Samson's ready for it to go out, I'm sure he would release it. Um, but nonetheless, a, 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 a senior linebacker who has three years of experience right now, at least, isn't with the football team. And we should note a player who I, I don't need, I know I didn't have him on my like projected two deep, two deep as a starter, but I, I I'm sure I'm yeah I know I had him as a as, as a member of the second team at inside linebacker. So this is somebody who was legitimately going to challenge. Play. Yeah, he was going to play. He's played a lot last year. Actually, I was watching highlights last night, um, ran through a bunch of the games. And there, he, he, you know, he had a couple moments where he popped. I mean, the Auburn game, he made it, I think he had the first sack of the season. Um, he had a decleating hit on an important third down play and early on against Colorado in a game that didn't end up being very competitive. But it was a, you know, it was, it was a big play on a screen. He just blew it up um, and, and stopped it. So and this is a talented guy who's had moments at Oregon. He's never been a starter, but he's certainly been an important depth guy. I think I, I think the stats are he's had a combined like 53 tackles the last two seasons. So he's, I mean, he, that's pretty respectable. Um, I mean, he's playing a, a decent amount there. So yeah, this, this is, this is not a, this is not a nobody leaving the program. Not that anyone on the team's a nobody, but this is not a player that was, that we wouldn't have expected contributions from leaving the program. This is somebody who we thought probably wasn't going to start, but we expected certainly would be play every game. Yeah. Play every game and be maybe their third, fourth, fifth inside linebacker or something like that. So um, interesting. And it'll be, again, I don't want to read into it at all. I just want to say, let's hope that whatever is going on with him, he makes the decision that's best for him. Um, and that, you know, hopefully we see him on the Oregon football field at some point, if, if that's the decision he wants to, to make. Now let's take a quick break. When we come back, we, I think we learned a lot about, the defense and Andy Avalos's viewpoints, particularly of the linebackers. And he said some things about the two five-star guys that I think everyone wants to know about that are pretty enticing. We'll touch that on that uh, here on the break. All right. Welcome back to the Odds and Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, Scopel with me as always. And we teased it. Um, Year two of the Andy Avalos defense, Eric. And I think every year that you have more experience in whatever defense or scheme, offense, whatever you're doing, whether it's football related or, or, or sports related or, or work related, whatever, you know, more experience, more, you know, more people familiar with what's expected of you, you could see, you should see improvement. And I asked Andy Avalos kind of what does he typically expect in a year two? install uh, of a defense and he said most notably guys aren't thinking anymore guys aren't aren't having to process before reacting they're just reacting and obviously the freshmen the newcomers they're going to go through the typical you know processing you know adjustments but for the most part the defense no longer will be worried about you know installing that's all basically done you know the program as a whole defensively understands what's expected of them and and they now can get to you know, scheming and, and, and maybe a little making little nuance changes to what they do and position changes and, and expanding on roles and, and tweaking things here and tweaking things there for what bits best fits their personnel. But the, the foundation aspect of it is set. And I've got the, maybe this is me reading into him. I got the, the feeling from just listening to him talk was he's pretty excited about the potential of this defense. I'm pretty excited too, thinking about if last year's defense was a step slow because they were still processing things. I mean, <laughs> that defense was <laughs> maybe the best defense, like, I don't know, pretty close to the best defense of like my lifetime watching Oregon play. And I'm, 
full disclosure, I'm 31 years old and I've been watching Oregon football since I was a toddler. So, I mean, and then maybe that's hyperbolic, but I don't think it's that crazy to say it's one of the best defenses we've seen. Certainly one of the best of the decade. And uh, if, 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 if there's going to be just like an inherent improvement because the players understand what they're doing more now and, and are going to be able to make quicker snap judgments, like that should get you excited. Um, that on itself, you know, that just on face value, like that kind of information. Um, from Abelos there, and 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 it's what you do expect, though, right? I mean, any time, as you said at the, at the top of the segment, of like, any time you're you've got a, a year of experience under your belt, that changes things. Like professionally, I, I felt like I was a better reporter at Duck Territory from year one to year two to, and so on and so forth, continually getting better. And and I think that you have to be excited about that. Um, and and I know we we only got two years of of Jim Levitt, and I would say year one was probably better than year two. I think there were some. I don't want to get too, you know, tip my dip my toe too deep into the waters here, but that might have been because of some other things besides just the the scheme and all that. But I, I'm really expecting, and I know there are some significant losses now and, and more losses than we thought. But I really am thinking that this defense is going to be better by the end of the season, and I, I do think you're going to have some growing pains early. I think that's to be expected, especially when you lose now about half the starters. Um, but boy, like, I think there's a ton of reason to be excited. And, and you also, I think to me, it's like year two is going to be great, but think about what year three could hold. I mean, I know we're jumping way ahead here, but the talent that they are developing with, as, and as long as Andy Avalos is here, and we've, we've been so impressed with what he's brought. Like, I think, you, you know, you say he's excited about his group and that's great because his enthusiasm makes me even more enthusiastic to be like, boy, I just want to see these guys go out and play. Um, and, you know, he's got that enthusiasm, as I said earlier, with basically not having seen any of his guys in pads going out and popping um, since since basically the Rose Bowl. So, um, yeah, I, I think, again, every time we hear these coaches speak and, and part of it is we've been <laughs> we've been basically without this kind of football conversation for six months now. I, I get really excited. And today was was no different. And, and I always enjoyed talking with Andy. He's he's very thoughtful and, and but I think divulges quite a bit of information. And I think your question and, and what he said about year two, and we'll have a story and, and full video up on the site to go check that out, um, is, is is an element of one of the more exciting elements of what he said. And, and I think we should say the thing we're about to transition to will also get fans pretty excited. And we we got a good amount of in, uh, of information from Avalos about the linebacker core. Um, he was he spoke about inside and outside guys. Um, one thing I thought that was really notable was he he was specifically asked about five star linebackers Justin Flo Noah Sewell. They were the number one, number two linebackers from in the 2020 recruiting class. They're two of the highest rated players to ever sign with the Oregon Duck football program. Um, safe to say that from a fan base perspective, from a media perspective, from an outside perspective, there's a lot of interest in these two guys. There's a lot of expectations that these two guys show up and immediately become key contributors for this Oregon defense. Uh, I'm not saying that they in, internally at the program, they don't have that, but you know, the, the coaches also know they have other talented players. They have older players, experienced players at that position. It's not just going to be an automatic shoe in for both those guys to show up and, and win the job. That being said, this is what Avalos said uh, about both Flo and Sewell. Quote, they're some of the most driven young men we've ever been around. Their football IQ, IQ combined with how driven they are will allow them to pick things up. He described both those guys as three-phase players, and quote, who allow us to be multiple in a lot of ways, meaning 
Flo and Sewell have the ability to step on the football field and you don't have to take them off because of down and distance. Uh, whether it's a, it's a it's an automatic run play and it's third and one and they need to stuff the run, or if, if it's third and nine and they need to be prepared to, to for the pass rush uh, or or pass coverage, uh, both those guys don't have to come off the football field. And I, I think more importantly, though, it was the driven young men aspect, their IQ. Sometimes you talk about, Eric, uh, you see players show up and they change the culture. They, sh- they change the demeanor of a team and – we were told that these are two of those type of players that they will show up and they will outwork everybody. They will demand uh, everyone match their level of intensity on and off the football field. Now they have to back it up. No doubt about it. If, if, if they're not playing well, if they're not practicing well and, and they're so rah rawing, no one's going to buy into that. But if they are playing well, it seems like these two guys have the opportunity to really shift the culture a little bit and change things within the program. And we should note that, Rob Mosley, who, again, we're using his – he's the only on-site reporter for any of this, and he works for GoDucks.com, <clears throat> so he's the, uh, the, uh, the staff reporter for, for Oregon. Did divulge that Sewell and Flo got run together with the second-team defense on Saturday, so that's today. Um, that's pretty quick for them to be out there with the twos. I mean, and I know it's not, like, stunning because I think Kayvon last year was pretty quickly working with the twos as well. Um, you know, and I, and I know, I think Mikhail was as well. I mean, so you get these highly rated guys and, and they pretty quickly are going to assert themselves and at least put them in a position to, to, to at least work with the first or second unit. But I think it's notable that, that, that they work there today. And I think it's notable thinking about and, and considering how those two might complement each other as, as inside linebackers. And I know it's unlikely that this year we see them start together. It might be unlikely at this point that we see, you know, both of them start games. I think probably one of them, and they, they might not start the season together. I mean, I think currently they're behind Drew Mathis and Isaac Slade, Matt Tawatia at inside linebacker. But it's pretty clear to me that these two guys are extremely talented and they are, and we know this, they're the future at inside linebacker at Oregon. And whether that's in 2020 or 21 or maybe 2022, probably not that late from my perspective, they're, they're going to be key contributors and starters on this defense. And so to see them working together already on the second team, Kind of wonder if that was intentional from Cristobal and Andy Avalos and um, Ken Wilson and all of these defensive coaches of, of like, we want to see these guys working together with the second unit, kind of see how they complement each other and look. So it's exciting. I, things that we, again, wish we got to see in person, but um, certainly excited just to think about those two could be on, on defense together. A couple of other notes here that you, you asked the question, so I'll let you kind of put this together, but Avalos had some nice things to say, not just about these two guys, but a couple of players that are returning that we think could be big time players in, in Mace Funa and Adrian Jackson. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people forget the fact that Adrian Jackson was going to be a starter for Oregon at outside linebacker two days before they kicked off the year in 2019 against Auburn. Um, he got hurt with a foot injury, lost for the season. And I asked Avalos just kind of what the, you know, what the expectation is for him. And he didn't come out and say he's the starter, but he came out and, and threw some, some big time praise. And Avalos is a, is a guy, a lot like Moorhead. He's, he is not going to single out a guy unless he feels very confident and that player can handle that, that you know, public praise. Avalos is very, very reserved with coming out and, and, you know, showering a guy with praise. And he came forward and said that 
the, the program is Jack to have Ajax. That's what his nickname is. Uh, Adrian Jackson back healthy, ready to play, ready to help this defense. Called him a fast twitch guy. He said that, you know, he's a very rare linebacker uh, and that does a lot of special things for this defense and that his impact will be felt because of how he can play and what he could do. And he noted that, you know, they could be bouncing him around. And I think Eric, um, seeing Adrian Jackson, I think that's kind of what was expected of him when he was recruited at, out of Colorado from, for, for, for the Ducks was that he has the capabilities because he's athletic enough, he's big enough, uh, and he's smart enough that he could play inside or out at, the next, at, at this level. He's a high school safety too. We should note that. Um, and extremely explosive. And we've said this before about him, um, just that he's, I think, the fastest and probably most athletic linebacker on the team. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of opposition to that. And, and I'm sure there are players that are somewhat comparable, but if he, if, and I, I think he will, if he's the player that he was when he first got to Oregon and you remember back in, in 2018 as a true freshman, I think he started a couple games. He looked good out there. And I know his statistical contributions aren't like off the, you know, aren't, aren't incredible, but like he w- he was a very capable player early on in his career. And, and I'll be curious to see kind of where they, where he fits in this year. I, I think he's a weapon for them, um, whether it's inside or outside. And um, you think about what it means to have a guy with his size and his combination of speed. I mean, I, I don't know what he runs now, but I mean, I think he was a sub 11, 100 meter guy out of high school in Colorado. Uh, I think he ran like 10, seven or 10, nine. So, I mean, this is a fast athletic kid at 230, 235. Um, the, the, the upside is huge for him. And I still go back to the first time. And I, I part of the reason I go back to that, I asked the question, I asked Troy Dye during 2018, kind of what he saw out of Adrian Jackson. I still remember he called him, I think it was a phenomenal beast, which I thought was a pretty apt way of describing kind of a young player. But I mean, he's kind of had some expectations on him for a while and he missed all of last season. And like you said, he kind of gets forgotten there. And then Oregon goes out and brings in, you know, the two, literally the two best linebackers in the country from a prep recruiting perspective in Flo and Sewell. And I think Jackson kind of gets forgotten about. And this guy's a redshirt sophomore who in theory has three or four more years left of the program to just, be a stud and I'm excited to see him out there and I'm excited to see how Andy Avalos chooses to utilize his talents. Cause I, I do think he's somebody, especially on like passing downs, like he kind of has to be out there from my perspective. And then he also, I also brought up Mace Funa. Um, this was a guy who was tremendous for Oregon as a freshman, true freshman at that. And the, the mo- notable thing about Mace Funa was he didn't play a senior year because of an injury. So he, he himself even said it before the year started that like literally days before the Auburn game, or maybe I have to, I can't quite remember when it was, but it was, it was early September ish. So maybe just before Auburn, maybe shortly after he himself came out and said that, you know, he's just now getting into like playing shape and feeling confident in his body from his knee injury that he suffered in high school and um, was, was very, you know, impressive speaking with about, you know, humble. And he's like, look, I, I'm doing good things, but like, I, I, I'm not even close to being back to what I was. And so I asked Avalos just kind of, you know, what's expected of him of being your, you know, year two of Mace Funa now where Funa's had a year, you know, of, of playing and, and training and, and feels good. And he's truly now a hundred percent. And, you know, you, you could see it in his eyes that Avalos is very, very, very excited about, Another year with Mace Funa, a sophomore linebacker, outside linebacker from Southern California, um, called him basically having like a coach on the football field. Mace is Mace. 
is what he said. Um, and I, I, I think this is going to be a guy that's going to be just a tear off the edge for Oregon the next couple of years. And seeing the development he has already in year two will be fun to watch. And it's always fun, fun kind of learning different things like about with Mace Funa. I don't know if I knew. Rugby I, football player. Well, I was going to say, I don't think I knew like he was a, a coach on the field. I don't think that was something that I necessarily like would have considered with him just because we haven't seen him play enough. I mean, he played quite a bit last year. He was great to start last season. And I remember we, I remember having a conversation on a podcast, like after I think the first four games of like, Mace Funa is having a better freshman season than Kayvon Thibodeau. What, like what, what's, what gives? And we were kind of like, yeah, maybe Funa is going to be the, the more ready impact player. Obviously their freshman seasons kind of each went a different direction. Um, not that Funa didn't play well the rest of the season, but KT just took off and was awesome. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Another guy, I think at linebacker, we a lot of attention on Sewell and flow. And for good reason, Mace Funa was a top 100 recruit out of high school. Matt discussed the injury he suffered. He might have been a borderline or close to it. Maybe it would have been a five-star had he played. Um, he, we might be talking about him a little differently and perceiving him a little differently. Either way, Oregon has a fantastic young – I mean, it's, it's pretty exciting when you think about this front seven and some of the pieces they have and just the youth they have and thinking about what this could look like down the line. I mean, there's Drew Mathis and, and Samson, who we don't know if he's going to actually play this season, are the two lone seniors um, at linebacker. And then obviously you're going to lose Jordan, Scott, and Austin Fallu along the defensive line, but like, that's basically it. Um, you know, I mean, this, this defense we're going to see this year with all these improvements. And again, the improvement that Avalos talks about from year one to two, I mean, you're going to be seeing guys here for a long time that are going to be staples early on in their career. And I just think you have to be really excited thinking about projecting and looking forward in the future. And I know obviously we want to focus on the 2021 or 2020 season. I should say, look, I'm already looking at 2021 apparently, but I think it's exciting just thinking about the the youth from this from this linebacking core um, and just projecting what they're going to be in a couple of years. Because I think they're going to be really freaking good this year and should just, in theory, be better every year as long as these guys stay with the program. Flipping sides, and we'll, we'll end it here with the podcast. Um, I think it's only right with the Mario Cristobal coach team that we focus on the, line, the offensive line for a second here. Um, they're looking for five – you know, they're looking for, I think – five or six guys to play each um, section of the offensive line, meaning tackle interior line. Um, Crystal ball basically ran through the entire roster of scholarship guys. When I asked him who is taking reps with the first team offense, and he didn't know that it's too early because they're doing too much shuffling between drills. And some guys are in, you know, some spots because of this and that. Um, But nonetheless, it's a group that they have to replace five starters um, four they knew about, and then Penny Sewell opted out, which has created the fifth spot. And it, it just really feels like this is a group that, after hearing Crystal Ball speak, after hearing Joe Moorhead speak, the offensive coordinator, they are not really going to pigeon anybody and, and, and peg them for, into a into one spot. They're they're going to kind of let this play out naturally and and maybe. F- well, neither of them said this, but it feels like they're just going to find the, the five best offensive linemen. Yeah, let me run through really quickly. He, you know, again, Matt asked the question and he basically was he was like, who's who was the first team offensive line? And then got basically who's that tackle, who's just who's playing tackle and who's playing guard or center. So according to Cristobal, the players that are working with the offensive tackles are Stephen Jones, TJ Bass, George Moore, Jonathan Ianu, Dawson Yaramillo, and then a couple here that were surprising to me at least. Uh, Malasala Amave Laulu. 
not that he's that's not surprising that I guess that he's a prominent name, but I didn't think he was somebody who'd look at tackle. He looked great at guard in the spring. Clearly, they're going to see what he can do at tackle as well. And then Jalen Smith, who we mentioned earlier, um, recruited to play defensive tackle, um, getting a little look at offensive tackle now. By the way, 6'4", 305 pounds, got a great build, obviously, at tackle. That, that, that'll work. Probably like him an inch or two taller, but who's complaining for basically a volunteer guy? Um, and then in terms of the interior player, and again, Matt said earlier, and this is what Cristobal said, just in terms of they're, they're basically looking at five to six guys per these two groups. Um, on the interior, they've got Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, um, TJ Bass, Jonathan Dennis, Matthew Harper, those last two being true freshmen, and then um, also Big Sala there as well. So he's he and TJ Bass are the two that we know are working at both guard and tackle. A couple of names that were missing there, um, Jalen Jeffers, um, and I'm going to butcher Feope Laulu, the true freshman. Also Chris Randazzo, another player whose name wasn't mentioned there, who I think we expected. I think I might have had him in my, my most recent 2D, but I know I did. Um, I don't know why I keep saying I think. I, I know I had him there. He's a player to I was expecting would have a shot to play possibly as a backup right tackle, maybe a, a backup guard. Um, interesting that they didn't mention him, but there's at least a run through of kind of who's working where. We do know from Rob uh, Mosley's tweets that um, Forsyth and Ryan Walk um, in that order were working um, with the first team offense at center. So there's, there, there's kind of the rundown of what we were able to glean from uh, the first couple of days of practice along the offensive line. Again, it's not a traditional – um, too deep like we would have if we were watching practice. We're obviously a little bit behind on that information, but it's at least a start in terms of kind of who's working where. And it's going to be fun to see this group play out, see how it how it comes together, finding the five best offensive linemen and who starts and where they start is, is, is going to be fun. Nonetheless, football is back. We've got a ton of coverage on DuckTerritory.com. We've got video interviews. We've got stories. Uh, we've got some podcasts. We've also got some basketball news that hit on the site over the weekend, which is pretty phenomenal uh, for the Oregon men's basketball program with a big-time verbal commitment. So your opportunities to get and consume Oregon athletics uh, sports coverage on DuckTerritory.com is in high gear right now and you can subscribe for as low as one dollar for your first month 9.95 there after that that's the most impactful uh the easiest and and the best way to support this free podcast and to ensure that eric and i continue to can do these we enjoy doing them uh we get a lot of fun doing them we we get a lot of feedback as well people that listen to the show and so subscribing to the site and and, uh and either an annual membership or a month-to-month membership is uh, the most impactful way to help us continue to do that. Uh, if you can't, we understand and, and we totally get it. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast for free to ensure that you get all future shows that show up sent directly to your device. You can also give us a review, which helps us get uh, more eyeballs on the show as well. So for Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Yachts and Autos podcast. Talk to you later, folks.